welcome to the One in Five of Us podcast. We are working to stop the stigma and start the conversation about mental health. I'm your host, Kayla Wood, and today we're sitting down with Stacey Lane to talk about her journey living with anxiety and depression and ADHD. Stacey, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Of course. I'm so excited to talk to you. We've been planning this for like almost months now, right? Because we we met uh, recording a video promotion for the Warrior Run um, back in September, I want to say. Yeah, it's August, September, somewhere in there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, This has been a long time coming. So I'm so excited um, that we are sitting down and doing this. Um, yes. So let's go ahead and just dive right in. Um, let's start by talking about your mental health journey. Um, can you just go ahead and give me like a brief overview of what that has looked like? Okay. So I'm going to start, uh, I'm going to start from when I was at the darkest point because that, um, kind of makes sense for me to do that. Um, when our second daughter who is now 15 and a half was born, um, it was about two, three months after, and I was just not functioning for myself. I was making sure the kids were fed and taken care of, but um, I wasn't showering, I wasn't eating properly, I wasn't sleeping well. And my husband told a joke as he walked past while I was feeding our younger daughter, and I just looked at him with a total deadpan face and mm-hmm. didn't even laugh. And normally, one of the things that attracted me to my husband is a sense of humor. And we laugh a lot still to this day. We've been married for 24 years and we still laugh our butts off. Um, And it worried him greatly. And so he called our family doctor and said, "Um, this is what's going on. Do you think I need to get her in? And she was like, yes, get her in. So Working backwards from that, there's a recognition now in hindsight that I struggled with depression ever since junior high and high school Um, was not supported by my family because there were other mental health issues going on um, with my parents. And I was expected simply to present the perfect picture and react as the family reacted and Um, In hindsight, it was emotionally crippling. I didn't know how to deal with emotions other than happiness Um, (laughs) or sadness when it was acceptable, like at a funeral. And walking forwards in college, um, it manifested as a couple suicide attempts, um, non-traditional in nature, but no less uh, serious and thankfully completely ineffective. And my amazing friends rallied around me and supported me where my family did not. And um, then coming forwards further um, in the struggle with postpartum depression after the birth of our second daughter, there have been some very low points um, there as well, where I had definitely made plans. um, But got help because I knew what it looked like to stand there and it scared the living daylights out of me um, because I'd also lost friends um, to suicide and I didn't want to leave my family with what they left their families with. Mm -hmm. So it's been a really interconnected, complex um, journey, but one that thank God I'm still here (laughs) walking um, 
And I, I truly believe it's to let other people know in those moments, there are people who will be very sad, broken, Mm -hmm. and never comprehend what you've done if you leave early. And I just want everyone to know they're never alone, even when they don't see or hear anyone around them. There, there are people there just standing around them, praying and hoping to God that they continue. Um, that's the biggest thing I think that my journey's left me with. And through the course of the postpartum depression has come the ADHD diagnosis, which has helped me to then reconcile a lot of the things from junior high, high school, college. Um, and I am in counseling and, um, love my counselor. We adjust the time between sessions based on what's going on in my life. We originally started like every other week and now we're at like every four to five weeks, but when things go wacky, we shorten it. And, um, she's an incredible resource for me, a confirmation and a support. Um, so yeah, it's, it has, (laughs) been a long journey. Mm-hmm. I'm glad of that because it means I'm still walking it. Um, it's been a hard journey. It's been, though, a very rewarding journey, very rewarding. And the friends that I've made and the, the people I've been able to talk to and in some cases reassure people who've lost family that they they were not functioning on a effective thought pattern at the time. And believe it or not, that's been very reassuring to a lot of my friends who've lost loved ones. Yeah. So I don't, I hope that answered it. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, um, that is quite, quite the journey. Uh, I got, I got chills at some point, <laughs> um, honestly. Um, and I think it's so beautiful what uh, you were saying about how you hope that your experience can help other people because that's really, that's what we at one in five um, really yeah. like to do. Um, and I know that you've been um, very involved with a lot of our stuff, especially like the warrior run and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I totally agree. I think that sharing your experience and sharing your journey um, is such a valuable resource and a valuable tool for, um, anybody who might be going through it right now, um, to hear that, oh, I'm not alone. Oh, other people have experienced this too. Um, that's really like why we started the podcast, right? Um, right. <laughs> uh, so that is, yeah. Thank you for uh, sharing and being so, um, vulnerable and honest. You're uh, welcome. Yeah. And so now I kind of want to go and talk a little bit about um, growing up with a family who, uh, was not super emotionally available. Right. So that, that's not easy. Right. Nope. Um, can you talk to me or tell me a little bit more about, um, what it was like to live with mental illness, even if you didn't know that it was mental illness, um, while also not having the support that you needed. And then later on getting that support from people outside of your uh, immediate family. 
Okay, so yeah, it was not diagnosed. In fact, to this day, she is not diagnosed, but there was one mediated session between myself and my parents a few years ago where my counselor was the mediator. And after my parents left the room, she looked at me and goes, oh, yes. (laughs) And we kind of narrowed it down to what we think it is. Um, But basically, I was not allowed to have an opinion that differed from the families. And that was always set by my mother. Um, so whatever she thought, believed, felt is what we all thought, believed, felt. And if anything you thought, believed, or felt contradicted from that, you were scorned and ridiculed. And, um, it was very hard because I had a lot of, I'm very imaginative. Um, and I had a lot of thoughts, beliefs, and, um, perspectives that differed. I'm also trained as a scientist. And so my brain thinks very critically. and while I knew there was something askew, of course, this was my family. This is what I grew up in. So I didn't know any different for a long time. And because I was told I was the problem, I believed I was the problem. So I thought everything in my brain and my heart and my makeup is what needed to be changed. Um, And that, of course, is what led to some very serious depression in uh, junior high and high school. And thankfully, at the time, I still had a couple people around me who were adults. They were teachers in the school, the algebra teacher and the earth science teacher, um, who was also my track coach, (laughs) um, who believed very much in me and supported me very much. Um, And the school counselor one time in high school asked me if there was anyone at home who was an alcoholic or anything like this. And I'm like, well, no, why? And they're like, well, (laughs) things don't quite match up here, but you know, okay, fine. Let's move on to something else. And that kind of niggled in the back of my mind for a long time. But again, I was told I was the problem. I was actually sent to counseling when I was in grade school and junior high, because I was a problem. (laughs) Thought differently. That's Yeah. And my sister was actually um, slightly physically abusive and manipulative. And when I, I'll give an example. Uh, When I was really young, she had told me before I went shopping with my mom at the grocery store that, oh, you know, that Brock's candy thing on the end of the aisle where all the bins are open, that's free. and You can take a piece and it's free. And of course, that was a lie. You had to pay 15 cents a piece. So we walked past and I took a piece. I put it in my mouth and my mom at one point noticed I was chewing something. She's like, what are you eating? And I had the wrapper in my hand and I'm like, well, piece of the free candy. She's like, what free candy? I'm like, well, Aaron told me that the Brock's candy on the end of the aisle was free. She's like, that's a lie. Why did you steal it? And I had to go to the store manager and apologize for stealing a piece of candy. And I was grounded and nothing happened to my sister. And that is the mildest thing that ever occurred that way. So I was the problem. And even when I told the truth, I was wrong. Mm -hmm. And that set me up with um, a dynamic of constantly lying to my parents to tell them what they wanted to hear to get them to leave me alone, even though I knew it was a lie. And then I became the liar when the truth actually did finally come out. (laughs) But it's like, but you, I told you the truth and you didn't believe me and you wouldn't leave me alone. So I lied to you. So 
who's really at fault here? <laughs> exactly. Oh. And me being no filter, because ADHD diagnosis at the age of 41 explains a lot. Um, very much rule follower. Mm-hmm. It's like, wait a minute, we're not supposed to lie. And yet you're making me lie in order for me to be left alone. But you're telling me I'm the problem. You're my parent. I'm supposed to trust you. It was just really unhealthy. But of course, I didn't know any different. And the few times I got to go over to a friend's house to do something, which were very few and far between, um, very quickly afterwards, I was not allowed to go do things with those friends again. Because I would come home and say, oh, my gosh, it was so much fun. We did this. We did that. The mom did this. The it's like it was so comfortable. There. My parents were like, oh, God, she's starting to figure out that not every family's like us. OK, shut that down. Yeah. And that's why it wasn't until college that I really realized that, no, maybe it's not me. And every family is not like mine. Mm-hmm. And this does not add up. But I didn't have the knowledge or the tools to deal with it. And so it just manifested itself as an even worse struggle within my own mind and heart because I was still beholden to my parents. We'll go home for holidays. How do I reconcile all this crap? Um, And my last year of college, my best friend, Dan, came home with me. And I'd gone out to the grocery store and came back. When I came back, he pulled me aside in the backyard. He's like, you know, you should not listen to what your mother tells you. Apparently she had attempted to tell him while I was out that I was mentally unstable. That was kind of the beginning of realizing this, this is just not okay. And the further along the path I went though, there's that struggle within you of, but this is my family. So you kind of try to rationalize it and you try to explain it away and fit it into the context of functionality. And it just all comes back to you and makes it even harder to cope with the disparity between reality and what your family's telling you. And somewhere along the lines, I was blessed to meet my husband in grad school (laughs) and get to know his family even better. And that just made it even more apparent. And I would cry myself to sleep when I went to visit them because they were so loving and accepting. And I just, I'm like, what have I been missing all my life? But yet this is my family. I have to be respectful. And um, really it was when, when I was diagnosed with the ADHD at 41 and sent to my counselor um, Mm -hmm. that I see currently and the story started coming out um, that was when I really started to see the pattern that had developed over the years of emotional and mental abuse. Um, and of course some physical abuse from my sister as well. Um, and it all came to a head when my sister absolutely blew her cork at me for being late to lunch at her house. And I stepped back from the whole family And uh, my husband took the girls to visit their auntie. And I told him, you don't leave them alone for a minute. Um, And when he came back, he said my parents had sat him down at the table after dinner when the kids were in bed over a cup of tea and tried to tell him how I was a liar. I was manipulative. I was mentally unhealthy. I was unfit to raise the girls. And this is all based on how I was in 
the family through high school. And he very kindly looked at them and said, you need to stop because that's not the woman I married. And if you continue, we'll leave. Good for him. Good for him. I know. For being able to put that distance because family, I'm a firm believer that you don't have to be family with the family that you're born into. Yes. You can choose your family if you need. I'm starting to get that. <laughs> yes. And that's beautiful. That's uh, it, that's a hard journey to come. It, it is. It's been a hard journey to reconcile from that moment when he came back from that trip to now as well, because I, I wanted to honor my family. I wanted to let my parents, you know, still be grandparents. But when Steve and the girls came home from that trip um, and Steve said, we don't ever have to visit your parents again. They can make the effort from now on. We're not doing that. Um, the girls actually broke down in tears and they were thankful. They're like, thank you, because we don't feel comfortable with Oma and Opa. We don't like them. They don't like us. Like they knew that there was something not kosher there, but they knew that because they grew up with both perspectives with Nana and Papa on Steve's side and Oma and Opa on my side. And really that was the moment that truly cracked wide open for me, the journey into discovering everything that my family had left me with and the process of then scraping away the layers of untruths and dysfunction to get to where I am now. Um, It's been like a six, seven year journey and it's been hard and it's hurt like hell and that's okay because easy stuff doesn't happen in life very often. (laughs) Hard stuff means you're changing and that's good. In this case, that's very good. Yeah. And growing too. Uh, Yes. Yeah. They help us to become who we are because as we persevere through them, we develop strength. We develop character. We develop truth. We develop, you know, the ability to see the next crisis before it hits and be ready for it exactly exactly um building us up stronger and better yes than the person that we were before but man it hurts to be broken down (laughs) don't lie about that part (laughs) it does it really does absolutely um and especially like when it is family when it's somebody who you're told from you know birth that you're supposed to trust these people um And they're supposed to have your back. And that's not always the case. Yes. Um, so I I applaud you for being able to um, separate and uh, make that choice and do what's best for you and your family. Um, Thank you. Yeah, of course. You've now created this, this new family that's yours. Yeah. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. Thank um, you. And in in all honesty, it was driven by my desire for my kids to have a completely different upbringing than what I had to not have that constant questioning of, am I okay? Did I say something wrong? Did I do something wrong? When is this going to blow back on me? Because literally it was a constant struggle between performing correctly and 
being verbally lambasted for everything I did that was wrong. And it, it, it yeah, not good. <laughs> yeah, that's, no child should have to deal with that. And, no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am sorry for that experience. That's okay, thank you. Thank you for, again, being so vulnerable and sharing these um, these stories and these experiences. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. I know that it might resonate with someone. Someone might be at the point I was at 10 years ago going, this just doesn't seem right. And hopefully they'll go, whoa, yeah. and wake up and be able to create their own journey of becoming who they truly are instead of who they're told they're, they are. Exactly. That it can be their moment of cracking open, right? Yes. Um, and, and really, in all this, I have to applaud to two people groups. One is Steve and his family who have walked this journey with me every step of the way and been so unbelievably supportive. And to all of my friends that have recognized in me who I truly was when I didn't even know who I truly was and who have stood there and reminded me of that constantly, who have given me opportunities to show who I truly am, a person who is encouraging and supportive and happy. I mean, I am honestly a happy person. Well, joyful is probably better because happy is dependent on what's going on, but joyful. Um, I love to see the positive in things. I, I don't, I don't like to be a worst case scenario person. I can do it when it has to be done, but, um, and I don't like to think ill of people. I like, um, I like to give people the feeling of you can do anything if you did, if you approach it with a plan, you know, and people who can support you. And my friends saw that in me, knew that's who I was, knew I was truthful, dependable, joyful, encouraging, supportive. And they've never stopped reminding me of that when I thought that that was the last thing on earth I was. That's so beautiful. And that's like coming back to that chosen family thing. It's, uh, It's the people in your life who are that support system, the people who do love you unconditionally um, that really make the difference and, and, and help you become who you are supposed to be. So you actually mentioned the unconditional love and support. Yeah. So what that didn't look like in my family was I was only praised if I did something that my mom could brag to her friends about. Hmm. I was only told I was loved if I did exactly what I was asked or told to do and or did something that my mom could brag to her friends about. And um, I also any accomplishment that I ever reached. So I was uh, published as a poetry author and as a uh, prose author. And I was the... um, I'm not saying this to brag. This is proving a point Um, because, yeah, I was uh, selected from a blind comparison of speeches to be the student speaker at my graduation. But I never got to tell anyone any of that. I was told you don't brag about anything. You don't tell people your accomplishments because that then took away my mom's ability to brag about it and tell people about my accomplishments. So anything I ever did was never mine it was hers. And that's probably been one of the, 
one of the hardest things as I get older, I don't like to tell people that I'm going to do something because I feel like I'm bragging and that's not my right, but it is my right because it's mine. And for instance, I did a 50K last November during the shutdown and I had, I told a circle of like six or seven friends and they helped train me and they came out and supported me on the day. And afterwards, everyone's like, why didn't you tell us you were doing this? I'm like, cause I didn't want to make a big deal about it. And and awesome though like yeah (laughs) and so in hindsight um I'm beginning to realize now like when I set these big goals for myself it's okay to tell people and to be excited about it and to get them on board um because it's mine (laughs) and and it's okay (laughs) and it's okay to have an emotion that doesn't seem happy. It's okay to have an emotion that doesn't seem to match a situation as long as you can understand why you're having it. Um, so yeah, having friends who I look them in the eye and I start talking to them and I start crying and I'm like, I'm so sorry, I'm crying about this. And they're like, it's okay. Yeah. (laughs) And then my counselor as well, doing the same with me has been massive to emotional growth for me to be able to understand what's really behind some struggles I'm having, what's really at the root of why I feel the way I do, like really identifying why I just don't tell people when I'm about to do something big has been huge. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, not going to try to diagnose your parents or anything, but like, that's (laughs) such a common sign of like a narcissistic parent. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> That's what my counselor said too. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Narcissistic and um, uh, narcissistic personality disorder. And um, the other one where like you push people away when you really want them close. Yeah. That's, oh gosh. I forget the name of it, but the two kind of go hand in hand and they're very similar. Yeah. And, yeah. and that thing that you were just saying about it was your mom's accomplishment that for her to talk about that's like the whole idea that like parents should not view their children as an extension of themselves you want yes, to yeah that's and that's such an important thing and um i know that we have a a pretty big following of parents on um one in five social media in particular mm-hmm. um and one of the things that uh, we get asked a lot is like, how can I be a better parent? Um, And there's one right there for any parent listening, just recognize that your child is not an excuse. Yes. They're their own individual person. Yes. They're going to think differently, act differently, emote differently, um, come to different conclusions and that's okay. Yeah. That's how life works. That's yes. Yeah. And yeah. Eventually they're going to grow up and become their own person anyway. So you might as well let it happen early. <laughs> yeah. And then send them out into the world as an emotionally healthy individual who can then come alongside their friends and coworkers in an emotionally healthy way and have these unbelievable friendships and relationships that, you know, just took me way too long to get. <laughs> That's, oh, that's, but I have them. So yay. Yeah. <laughs> you got there. 
<laughs> it's okay. You know, everybody, everybody takes time and uh, different, uh, different amounts of time, I should say. Yes. Yes. Those relationships. But the important thing is that you do have those supportive people in your life. Um, and I, I love that you have been talking so much about um, your counselor and how impactful that's been. Um, because we are He's very, awesome. <laughs> therapy is so important. Like I actually just recently started going back to therapy after about a two year break, um, which I should never have taken. <laughs> That's okay. You know, it stopping and starting. It's all part of the process of learning. What do you need? What don't you need? Yeah, it's part it's of okay. But the past, like, I think I started maybe uh, less than a month ago. And this past month has been so incredible. It's been like, it's, it's mind blowing how quickly my life changed just mm. being able to go to therapy, go back to psychiatry um, and really making the steps to take care of my mental health in the ways yeah. that need to be done. And I want to commend you for that because it's not always the easiest thing, especially when you've stopped going to then recognize you need to start again, which yeah. is massive. So awesome. Well done. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Just toot my own horn a little bit. <laughs> okay. Because that's going to encourage someone else who's maybe at that point where maybe they need to go back or yeah. maybe they feeling bad that they stopped going and they want to go back, but they feel like that admits failure. Well, it doesn't. It just admits you tried. Yeah. It's not time yet. So go back to what worked and, and go forward. Exactly. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge advocate, by the way, of do what works and keep moving forward. Don't go backwards. Keep moving forwards. You can go sideways, but then find a way to go forwards. Yeah. For sure. And it's okay even if you stop for a little bit. Like, And if you end up going backwards and you recognize you've gone backwards, as long as you're recognizing it and you're getting back on going forwards, it's great. <laughs> exactly. exactly. That's like one of my favorite analogies for uh, mental health is um, or recovering from mental illnesses or living with mental illnesses um, yeah. is that it's, it's a road. So. Yes. When you're driving, you're always moving forward. Sometimes you might take a wrong turn and wind up back where you started. Right. <laughs> right. Sometimes you have yeah. to pass. Sometimes you have to like take a different turn and go a different way than you expected because the road's closed. Sure. Yep. Exactly. And that's I I I just I love that analogy. I just wanted to throw that in. That's uh, a great analogy. Thank you. Yeah. You're uh, welcome. Yeah, it's I think I don't think I can take credit for it though. I think that's like a one in five analogy that Right. Not a lot. But still it's it's so applicable. I like it. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. For anybody listening too. It's uh Yeah. <laughs> Stay uh, on the road and just keep going forward, even if it doesn't look like forward. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Just keep moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I do want to talk a little bit about your experience with um, counseling. So you, what, let's talk about the moment that, um, I know you talked about this a little bit in your introduction to your mental health journey, um, but can we talk more about that moment 
that you recognized, hey, it's time to seek treatment? Because other people can tell you that it's time, but it's not really time until you make that decision, right? Right. Yeah. So it was pretty concurrent with getting the adult diagnosis of uh, ADHD because the process of taking the exams to diagnose that brought up a lot of memories that I could not handle. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of, well, a lot of things I just couldn't reconcile. And I was sitting there in the doctor's office receiving my diagnosis where she says, yeah, you definitely. Cause so there's a questionnaire that you can take. That's like a hundred questions. And, um, People may answer like 40 to 50 and they're still neurotypical. But when you answer 98 to 99 (laughs) and they're all you, (laughs) that's a pretty clear sign. Um, And as I handed my doctor the, the quiz, my hand was shaking and I started to cry. And I'm like, oh, my word, if this is what's been going on all along, then it explains this and it explains that. And oh my gosh, this is just like a whole change in my self view. And she looked at me and put her hand on my knee and said, I'm going to recommend that you see a counselor. She's actually primarily a grief counselor, but I think at the moment that's what you need. And Interestingly enough, that was exactly what I needed because it was a process of grieving who I thought I was or who I had been told I was and grieving all the opportunities I had lost, all of the reality that I had not been allowed to lips. Everything leaks out my eyes. (laughs) Um, It's still really hard to think that it was 41 years of living under someone else's truth about myself. Um, But I am just so thankful that, you know, I have good medical advice. I have good people who care about my well-being. And our doctor has been my doctor since, uh, well, She's not the doctor we had when the girls were born, but we got handed over to her when our doctor retired and Dr. Duarte handed us to Dr. Dylan because she knew this doctor is going to fit you perfectly. And she is amazing. Um, And I trust her in a way that I never felt like I could trust anyone. And so when she said, I want you to see this counselor, I said, okay. And, um, the first session was felt like meeting an old friend and we talked about things, you know, she would ask me questions and we would discuss um, memories I was having and emotions I was feeling and what might be behind that. But we also, um, my counselor's really uh, supportive of self-discovery. Like she doesn't want to tell you necessarily what's going on, but she wants you to be able to get to it yourself because she feels that that can lead to a more lasting change, which aha is amazing. Like we've been able to rewrite neural pathways. Yeah. It, yeah. It's incredible. Um, 
But what she does is she, with me, what she does, she, she will recommend a book. She's like, okay, let's read this book together. And a lot of times it's a book that has an activity at the end of each chapter. And one of them was on um, emotional trauma. It was written by a, actually a pastor here in the Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky area. It's phenomenal yeah. and very hard to do at the same time. Because some chapters I got to the end of and I just wept in the bedroom from the reality of what that meant to me. But like I said, that was good because it was recognizing what had gone into that pain and that untruth and working past it. Um, And so I think over the years, let's see, we've been to seven years probably. I've been in counseling with her. And we've probably gone through... We're on our fourth book. That's awesome. It takes us a while. Sometimes we take a break. Sometimes we discuss other things. But um, and and the book we're on now is it's beautiful. It's about you know the beauty of being a woman, and um, I love it. It's hard still because I don't think of myself as beautiful. It's 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 very hard because yeah, that goes back to childhood too. Um, but it's good. It's because it's not beauty in the superficial sense. It's beauty in the soul deep sense, in the heart sense. So I can handle that. I, I can do that. <laughs> I mean, just even listening to you tell your story, like I can tell that you are such a beautiful person. Oh, thank you. I, um, it's, but like, honestly, <laughs> the outside isn't what matters anyway. You know what right. I mean? So like, if you don't, look at yourself and feel beautiful. But if you can at least recognize that what's inside is beautiful, that's what's more important anyway. Right. Beauty is fleeting. So they Yes. Oh, and I'm 48. Yes, it is. (laughs) But you do look fantastic. I'll say that. (laughs) Uh, It's my childish nature. (laughs) It's very endearing though. (laughs) Um, But that is, that is, so beautiful and having that connection with um your counselor and being with the same counselor for eight years or seven years i'm sorry um seven years is incredible (laughs) um that's that's typically not heard of and and was this your first counselor that you saw yes so you guys hit it off like right away that's yes And this is where I have to tell a teeny little story that is my truth. Okay. um, Because I know this is not true for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was diagnosed with postpartum depression and the doctor gave me a bottle of Lexapro 10 milligram pills and I took it home and I immediately called my father-in-law because my husband was out of town um, at work and the neighbor had watched the kids. Mm -hmm. My father-in-law, Steve's dad, has been on a journey with depression for a very long time, ever since his kids were little. And he's very open about it as well, which has probably been, well, I know it's been huge in my willingness to be open as well. Um, But I called him. I said, okay, dad, here's the deal. I was given this vial. I cannot go through trying multiple things. I just, I can't, it has to work or I I just, I know me Mm -hmm. and I know, I knew where I was at. And I said, so will you pray with me that this will work? 
And for me, faith is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, ever since uh, in college, when I gave my life to Christ with uh, on a walk with a friend, and for the first time in my life felt normal, like balanced. It was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a whole other discussion for another day. But um, he said, okay. So we prayed and he said, now take it and go to bed. I'm like, all right. So I did. And that weekend, I was so tired, but not anxious for the first time in 41 years. And the girls reacted differently around me because there wasn't that anxiety and tension. And I realized, okay, this is, even if I have to stay on this for the rest of my life, I will take this every day. Yeah. And I have never not taken it intentionally. Every once in a while, I forget because I go to bed early, but it's few and far between. And I've stayed on the same dose of the same medicine the whole time as well. Um, And supplemented with exercise, diet, sleep, whatever I feel led to um, add or change or adjust. And it was the same with my counselor. I sat there holding the business card at the table. And this time I didn't have to call dad because I knew I'd had experience with counselors and my experience had not been good. So this was a hard one for me. And I sat at the table and, um, and I prayed and I'm like, okay, God, I will do this if it will help me help my family, Mm -hmm. um, and help me to be a better me. And, but it's got, it's gotta be a good fit. If it's not a good fit, I can't bounce from counselor to counselor. It's got to be a good fit. And so when I walked in the door and that first session was amazing and the next one was equally as comfortable, I, I was very thankful. And there's not a session that goes by that I don't thank uh, Gina for taking me as a client because she brings a um, Christian perspective to it as well. We usually pray at the start of every session, which to me is very huge um, and puts me in a right place to be able to see things with an open mind and heart. And um, yeah, she's just unbelievably supportive and kind-hearted and knowledgeable. Holy mackerel. I mean, I know they're supposed to be, but wow. Yeah. But it's important when they like really are, you know? (laughs) Yeah. You know, there's that, there's that like comedy movie picture of a counselor where you answer a question with a question. She never does that. (laughs) Yeah. That's, I've had experience with some counselors who were like, yeah. And it, it put me off therapy for a while. Yes. Um, So I know that my journey is a little unique, but, um, it's, it's the one that I asked for and was given. And I'm just so grateful. Yeah, absolutely. And that is, um, that is like truly incredible because it is so rare to be able to find, um, a mental health professional and, and medication that work for you, um, on the first try. And, Fingers crossed that's where I am right now. Um, so far, I really like both my therapist and the medication that I'm trying. Um, but that's like, but for anybody who's listening, I just want to put this disclaimer. If you don't like your first therapist. It's okay. That's okay. You can try, try again. One. Yes. Yep. 
like we were saying with the road, like it's okay to go sideways or yes. like take a detour. Um, just please don't give up. <laughs> yeah. And I think for me, I was recognizing that at those moments when I was given the medicine and when I was given the business card to the counselor at those moments, I was in so much pain. I knew I didn't have the strength to try multiple. So I was basically pleading with God. I'm like, this has got to work because I can't take it anymore. (laughs) That's, that's kind of like where I was when I started going back and, um, that's, I was like, I need this to be the fit that I need because I, I, I don't know what'll happen if it's not. <laughs> uh, <Been there. laughs> yeah. And it's tough. It's a tough place to be. And so yeah. um, I think it speaks a lot to um, just your, your willingness to make it work too. Um and I think, I think that's part of it, part of it. Uh, yeah. and yeah, it's so yeah. I do, I do applaud you for, thank you. This. There is one last question, um, okay. on the, in this kind of section of stuff that we're talking about that I wanted to ask you, um, if you could go back in time and talk to your pre-recovery, pre-treatment self, um, what advice would you give yourself? This is a tough one. Sorry. I think I would just tell myself to never give up and to hold on. To never give up and just hold on. That it's going to get better. It's going to get better. Wow, no one's ever asked me that before. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And I think I, I think I might also tell myself that um, what all my friends are telling me is true, that I really am that person. And that someday I'll understand that. Nice question. I like it. Thank you. Uh, are you okay? Do we yeah, I'm good. Okay. I'm good. Everything leaks out my eyes. <laughs> uh, I'm a, I'm usually the same way. Um, yeah. Yeah, I did. A, I did a podcast with my mom last week, two weeks ago, um, and it was the first time that I cried during one of the podcasts, and I was like, yeah. I don't usually talk about myself during these and this is hard (laughs) I got a taste of my own medicine (laughs) Um, but are you would you like to take a little breather do we are you okay to have a sip of water and I'm good whoo that one was wow good question thank you thank you you for your response too that's you're welcome that vulnerability I'm going to keep saying it, but that vulnerability is so important um, to people who might be feeling some right. So, Well, my father-in-law was really vulnerable with me about his um, walk with depression and seeing someone who I admired, who was a father figure, be open about it 
was huge. Yeah. Um, yeah. And having friends who, if I started to cry and talk about things, they were fine with it. They didn't like get uncomfortable and try to change the subject or yeah. that's been massive. Yeah, for sure. It's being emotionally available and emotionally vulnerable. Um, as we have covered in this podcast so far as well, um, is so important because we are human beings. Um, we have emotions, we have, um, those thoughts that, you know, like sometimes you can't control what you're thinking and how it's going to express on your face in your, like in your attitude and whatever, whatever it might be. Um, just you know yeah and one thing too that I've really learned is when I start into that dark spiral of thought patterns of self-belittling and self-guilt um self-blame I will go for a walk Mm -hmm. and if that doesn't kind of jolt me out of it or kind of, you know, I'll go for a walk because I love nature and nature. I see God in nature and the beauty of everything around me. And if that can't lift me out of it, then I will, I have a couple of friends who are my clutch um, that I call. And likewise, I have a couple of friends for whom I am clutch. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times people don't see me when I'm spiraling because I have a hard time being around people when I'm not that perfect presentation, but I've started letting myself, um, be more honest. And a perfect example was in March when it was my birthday for the second time during lockdown. (laughs) And I was so frustrated that we were still there, that people weren't doing what they needed to do as a group of society to make it end so that this could be over, so that I could have a birthday with friends. Not that I'm a huge, yay, it's my birthday person, but I do like to get friends together. I do like to share cake. I do like to, you know, maybe go for a hike together or something, but I, I couldn't. Yeah. And... I was at a group run the the week before my birthday, um, it, but it, there was only like seven of us. And it was, we would meet on a Saturday morning at 6.30. We would all stand six feet apart. Everyone had their masks on and I'm standing there. And the, the birthday before I had had one friend I ran with because it was during the, like the very beginning of those weeks when one other person, not from your household, six feet apart, opposite sides of the road, running concurrently kind of thing. And I'm like, why am I still here? Why are we still dealing with this? And I just, I started to cry. And because <laughs> the the gentleman who was leading our run that morning was like, how's everyone doing? And everyone went around. They're like, we're good. We're good. We're good. I'm like, I am not good. <laughs> I'm bad. I'm not doing well. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I actually let it out. And I'm like, I'm so sorry, but I'm not good. <laughs> and the most amazing thing in that moment was that all the other guys just, they're like, can we just come put our hand on your shoulder? Cause you know, we still weren't supposed to be hugging. And mm-hmm. so they came and they put their hands on my shoulder and they're like, well, you know, 
we can have a Zoom call with you on your birthday. <laughs> Thanks, guys. And I totally started laughing and it was better, but yeah. they all checked in with me that next week. And I'm like, there's the benefit of being vulnerable, of letting someone see when you're not okay, is yeah. that these friends that are in your life, these family by choosing, as you said, yeah, they really yeah. do care. And they might surprise you and in their supportiveness. And you know, that's a, a a gift to them to be able to come and be supportive of you and be that friend. And then in turn, it's also them trusting that if they're vulnerable, you're going to do the same for them. So I think it's important on so many levels for all of us to just sort of let our freaking guard down once in a while when we know it's safe. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it can, it can be so impactful and really kind of life-changing. Like, like what you were just saying, that is a perfect example of it. Because yep. uh, if you weren't so open and honest, um, they wouldn't have known to check in with you the next week and make sure that you're on birthday, make sure that things were going all right. And, um, that's, that's awesome. I love that. That little <laughs> anecdote. Yeah. Yeah. It was a pretty cool moment, really, in hindsight. That actually does lead kind of perfectly into uh, what I wanted to talk about next, which is um, your passion for running. So I know that you, <laughs> yeah, you're like an avid runner. Like, yeah. <laughs> 31 miles, right? 50K? Yeah, it actually ended up being like 33 because I mismapped. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so you did like, almost a a 51k or 52 yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) I can't do that conversion that quickly but (laughs) um so that obviously takes dedication um but uh you were saying that um exercise is kind of something that helps you with your mental health um so when when did you uh, start running and how has it uh, impacted your mental health? Well, in all honesty, I started running the moment I could from birth. Um, and I I mean that, like I, if anything, I was usually found running down the street to a friend's house across the farm field with friends. And I ran cross country and track in junior high and high school, um, which is probably how I survived junior high and high school. Uh, in all, in all honesty. And then in college I would run for fun Mm -hmm. and I would run on the trails and the bluffs around Winona, Minnesota. Um, Winona sits in the Valley and the bluffs of the Mississippi river are on either side. And I would go up there with a friend or two and we'd run the trails and Mm -hmm. I'd run around the lakes in Winona. I'd run. Oh, good heavens. Yeah. So, um, I'm one of those people who in all honesty, absolutely loves to run. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't love every distance, but if I get to go out running, I'm a very happy person. Yeah. Um, and I came back to running after our second daughter was born because I kind of took a break. You know, you graduate from grad school, you become a professional, you're doing all this field work and office work and travel and all that. And then you're having kids and you kind of forget a little bit who you are. And then you remember, oh, but I really like to run. <laughs> And I don't need a gym membership and I don't need, like, I can just go run. Yeah. Um, so, and actually, uh, when, let's see, when Steve and I were first married, 
one of my childhood friends passed from leukemia and his cousin passed from leukemia. And that kind of kickstarted me. One day I saw a billboard for team and training, the, um, one of the fundraising arm of leukemia and lymphoma society that does marathons, half marathons, century rides and things like that, where you train and you raise money. And I decided after Mia, I decided I want to do a half marathon. So this was 2007 when I started running Mm -hmm. and um, pretty much haven't stopped since I've done 24 half marathons, seven marathons, one 50 K whole bunch of uh, 10 Ks, five Ks, I just did a 20 mile trail run last month. That was my big thing this year. Nice. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun in West Virginia. Mountain. Mountains. Um, and I just, I just love it. I really do. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I, um, I mean, obviously like running is, is, uh, very big at one in five, um, yeah. very dear <laughs> to our heart. Um, but I, I didn't come to running until, uh, college. And when I started running, uh, it, it was like something just like clicked in my brain. And I was like, this is amazing. Like <laughs> This feeling of just freedom yeah. and it's dopamine <laughs> at runner's high that, that people always talk about. It's so real. Like um, I'm actually going to be going to, uh, a fitness class after we finish up with this. And, um, every single time I'm like, I don't care what the floor block is. I don't care what the rowing block is. All I want to do is get on those treads right. and just <laughs> go. Like, <laughs> And I am up to my sprinting speed. Like I can hit 11 miles per hour now, which is wow. something I never thought I would be able to do. Um, That's awesome. thank you. Yeah. I'm more of a, okay. short, a shorter distance runner, but like spray my, my forte, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get to 12 by next summer and we'll see. We'll see. Well, ironically enough, I started out with cross country and then went to sprinting and hurdles and long jump in track and then went back and have come back to distance running. Nice. Yeah. Further than I ever ran before, but my sweet spot is a 10K. I love a good 10K. That's my favorite distance. I, I've i done like one half marathon. It was virtual though, so I don't even... <laughs> it counts. It counts. It totally counts. All Give right. yourself credit. <laughs> I did one half marathon. And might do it again, but probably not. <laughs> like, and that's okay. I've done 150K. I'm never doing it again. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. I'm so impressed that you can do a 50k. <laughs> that is something I truly do not think that my legs will ever be able to do. My hips, not even my legs, my hips just wouldn't be able to handle it. Oh, oh yeah, by the end of it, I was like, oh, I want to be done. <laughs> down, right? Like, <laughs> just collapse. Because <laughs> I know that's what I would do. That's that's what I did after my half marathon, and I did it like. The worst part was that I did it on a track. Oh! Laughs. 
And if you I- decide to do another one, let me know. I'll make you a route and we'll run it together. Okay. All right. I'm down. Uh, and I mean, okay. I'm uh, I'm actually going to start training for a triathlon here pretty soon. So if uh, right. I'll have you help me with my running, my distance. Sure. So, Happy to. Yeah. Um, we are coming up on time a little bit here. Okay. So I do want to get to this last question. Um, what do you do to take care of yourself now um, other than the running that we've been talking about? That's a very good question. (laughs) I, first of all, make sure that I get in bed at a decent time and get at least, for me, the minimum is six hours of sleep, Mm -hmm. but ideally like seven and a half to nine. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but I always make sure I get that at least six hours of sleep, any less than that. And I end up not being able to function well after I've been up for a while. So make sure I get a decent night's sleep. Um, I take my vitamins to supplement um, the things that the Lexapro doesn't cover as well. So like I take vitamin D, I take acidophilus. So my gut's working. So there's more serotonin for my brain. Um, And I make sure I do that every day. Um, I have notes written around that posted up to remind me. (laughs) Um, I have a stack of books that I have regularly rotated. I, I read, um, if I'm having trouble kind of settling into sleep for the night, I will grab my books and just lay in bed and read and Mm -hmm. acknowledge that, okay, maybe I'm not going to get nine hours of sleep tonight. Maybe I'm going to get seven and a half, but I'm getting to read and that's calming me down. And that means my sleep will be better. Yeah. Yeah. And then what I eat, making sure that I'm eating good healthy food, but also allowing ice cream because it's very important. (laughs) Not being so strict, Um, right? Yeah, like lots of fruits and vegetables, lots of good healthy food that's not loaded up with fake colors and fake flavors and things because that can all affect your gut and your brain. Mm -hmm. Um, But still letting myself, and the other thing is chocolate. So chocolate is always allowed. (laughs) Um, So yeah, the getting good sleep, making sure I'm taking my, my vitamins, eating well. And, um, you know, if there's a day I don't feel like running, I don't make myself run. I go for a walk instead, or maybe I sit on the porch and read a book, like recognizing what I am and I'm not capable of and not forcing myself to do something because it's on the plan. It's like, it's okay to vary the plan, giving myself grace. That, that is probably one of the biggest changes in my self-care is giving myself grace that's beautiful I love yeah. that. <laughs> like you're very um self-aware of what works for you and what um yes. you need in terms of uh keeping yourself healthy and that's that's yeah a very impressive quality to have Thank mm-hmm. and one more thing yeah. I know a lot of people journal That's awesome. I've never been able to journal sustainably, but there was something I have done. And when I'm having really hard days, I will go back to doing it. Um, And it's something my counselor had recommended when I first started seeing her. It was also in that book. uh, So I'm not lazy, crazy or stupid. Instead of writing a to-do list, which of course I grew up with a mother who constantly made to-do lists and you weren't doing anything if you didn't have a to-do list. 
I made a got done list. Yes. And I, I've kept that, that spiral that it's in. And every once in a while, I'll go back and look at it from the very first day. I, and I put on things such as got out of bed, brushed my teeth, washed my face, fed the children, fed myself, did laundry, wrote a letter. Anything that I got done that day got put on that list to show me that I was doing things, even though I didn't feel like I was getting anything done because all of these things I was doing were important to my, my mental health, my physical health and the health of my family. So where I might not journal, I am very prone to making got done lists. (laughs) I love that because I kind of do that. Like I have a running to-do list that I don't update until the end of the day. So I guess it's a got done list, but I keep calling it my to-do list. Right, right. So that's awesome. I'm going to start saying that got done list. I like that. Because I like, I have a calendar, but then I also like go back at the end of the day and then just fill in everything that right. I did in between. <laughs> so, and making a to-do list actually would give me an anxiety attack because it was too much like what my mom tried to push on me. And looking at all those things that needed to be done would make me anxious. And so instead, I would write down one big thing that I wanted to get done at the bottom of the page, not at the top, at the bottom. And then I would write all the things I had done. And if I did that thing, great. If I didn't, I circled it and drew an arrow to the next day. Yeah. And it's like, okay, look at all these other things I did get done. I'll try that again tomorrow. Right. And that's like, when I, when I try to schedule out my days, which I've tried to do in the past for, for many years, when I schedule things out like minute by minute or like be really strict with it, I just realized that I don't do it. Right. It, I just get so overwhelmed, like seeing it, it's so restrictive. And then it makes you feel bad if you don't get to it. And I'm like, exactly. why would I want to make myself feel bad? And that doesn't help my mental health at all. <laughs> exactly. exactly. I thought lists were supposed to be a good thing. <laughs> right. And for those for whom it does work, awesome. Keep going with it. But for those for whom it doesn't, maybe try doing a got done list. And I'm serious. Put anything you've done that day on that list and it will begin to change your perception of what you're actually doing and that everything you do affects and reflects and impacts your mental and physical health. Yeah. And it's all important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Stacy, you have been so incredible to talk to. Thank you, Kayla. Of course, your, uh, your, your vulnerability, we're going to go back to that emotional vulnerability, um, has just been so inspiring. Um, and I hope that somebody listening can take something away from this. Um, oh that helps them. Absolutely. Um, and to all of our listeners out there, um, as always, you are not alone. Um, if you need any additional resources, please visit oneinfive.org. Um, And have a great day.